Hi, I'm Terry Zabolski, pastor of Grace Community Church in Mechanicsburg, Pennsylvania. I'd like to thank you for listening to this week's message. I hope and trust that God's Word is a blessing to you as you live for Him each and every day. Well, take your Bible and uh, turn to uh, the book of Nahum. Uh, if you found Micah, M-N, Nahum is uh, one of the uh, small books of the Old Testament. It's in the collection section called the Minor Prophets, minor only in that they're shorter, smaller. They're not the length of Isaiah, 66 chapters, and uh, uh, Nahum only has three chapters. And, uh, and so hopefully you found that, and we're going to uh, give a bird's eye view uh, of this book, and I've entitled the message, The Rest of the Story. Last week, we said goodbye to uh, an American icon. Maybe you noticed that. Some of you don't perhaps know who he is, but uh, many of you will recognize the name Paul Harvey. Paul Harvey uh, was a radio man uh, for many, many years, and I always enjoyed listening to his, uh, his radio broadcast. He's the greater Chicago area. And uh, the New York Times uh, had this, and I quote in regards to Paul Harvey, uh, he captivated millions of listeners for nearly six decades. How about that? With his homespun radio news reports and his conservative commentaries. End of quote. And who can ever forget his line, now for the rest of the story. He would, uh, he would cite something that was happening, and then through his investigation, he would uh, reveal all sorts of tidbits that uh, obviously weren't, uh, uh, weren't apparent in, in the lead story or what you read on the front page as he recounted a kind of like, a did you know, or now for the rest of the story, and he filled in the gaps. I always loved hearing that. That in his page two, which was filled with his, all his advertisements, right? And all that uh, uh, people paid him uh, to uh, advertise on his radio program. The rest of the story. Well, I felt like it was a timely title for this message. We have been uh, uh, in the book of Jonah. We have uh, looked at it in six messages. This uh, book of Jonah, which is, is often dis despised by the world, uh, by the university, and by many seminaries and in many pulpits. But I dare say unto you, the Lord Jesus, the way, the truth, and the life had no problem with it. In fact, uh, he had no problem with the, uh, the great fish, and it's not a great fish tail, like you've been out fishing, and it gets bigger and bigger and bigger. It really happened, and Jesus said to that generation who were demanding another sign, you will get no other signs except the sign of Jonah, who was three days and three nights in the belly of a great fish. And this is the way I say to it. If the Lord Jesus had no problem with it, then I certainly don't. I'm a peon. I want to just get in line, hear the word, and say, yea and amen, Lord, you're great. All I need to know is that God provided a great fish. That's the end of the story. It's a great world. It's a great universe. It's all his. We're just visiting. Have you noticed? We sort of just got off the bus it amazes me. People will get off the bus, and here they stand. They give them a few degrees after their name, a few letters, and they pontificate incredible evil things, like, there is no God. Thank you for your opinion. Please sit down. You know, you feel like shouting that. You'll see it everywhere, men and women, in their rebelliousness. And those that have gone through and earned advanced degrees and, and occupy pulpits and disparage the Word of God and make a, a laugh of Jonah, thank you for your opinion. The Lord had no problem, and certainly I don't have a problem with that. And so we've been in the study, 
And today we're going to look at Nahum because really it is the rest of the story. You and I need to know the message of this and tie it together with Jonah and to see the, the lessons that God has for our lives and our times. I dare say to you there's a message here for every one of us. There's a message here for our families. There's a message here for our nation, for the church. It is chock full of message. Don't miss it. It's like on the ship. Some of you were in the Navy. Now hear this. Now hear this. Don't want to miss it. It's the book of Nahum. It's the rest of the story. Remember, Jonah went into that great city of Nineveh, and we suggested it was around 760 B.C. He was the reluctant, disobedient prophet. God had to paddle him, but good. He paddled him. God is the great uh, disciplinarian. He knows what his prophets need. He knows what his children need. For whom the Lord loves, he disciplines. And God uh, writes his prophet. His prophet makes the 550-mile walk to Nineveh, which is modern-day Iraq. We've said that to you. And he walks through that great city preaching judgment is going to fall. Judgment is going to fall. We saw that as we studied it. And God gave in that city of hundreds of thousands of people that wicked, cruel city, the capital of the Assyrian Empire, he gave them the greatest revival that ever took place in the history of the world. Sometimes we're acquainted with some of the great mass evangelistic revivals, the Billy Graham Crusades and other crusades that have taken place. That was nothing in comparison to what Jonah experienced. And yet he wasn't happy. He, was a pro, he had a bad heart. He did what God wanted him to do, but he really wanted God to destroy these people. He hated them. He was prejudiced against them. They had hurt the, the nation of Israel. Uh, that they, would, they were going to do that in short order. They were a ferocious, cruel, wicked. They were the worst the Nazis of the day. Talk about death camps and what used to be Eastern Germany down in the, over in the Poland and beyond. The death camps, that were, that's what the Assyrians were. And God in his mercy showed the wideness of his mercy and saved the whole city, even unto the king. It was phenomenal. Phenomenal. And it ends with that question mark. Here's Jonah pouting up on the hill, wanting to see fireworks. And it ends with a question, and we saw it last time. There are thousands of people in this city, in essence. Should I not be concerned about them? It is a story of the sovereignty of God in evangelism. It's a story of the wideness of God's mercy. You know, if you know Christ the Lord is your Savior today, because the Word of God says, out of every kindred and tribe and nation and language group, there will be people populating heaven. That you and I, if you know Christ, will meet Assyrians in heaven as a result of the ministry of Jonah, whose name in Hebrew means dove. But now we come to Nahum. Nahum wrote this about a hundred years after Jonah's incredible ministry. Nahum's book theme is wholly different than Jonah's. Nahum, uh, whose name means comfort, even as Christine has just sang the last song about comfort in the presence of the Lord, uh, Nahum is going to provide comfort for God's people who have suffered so much under the Assyrians. Nahum is uh, is a message of God's judgment and pictures the day, and it's pretty brash, the day the grandkids went to hell. I used to title the message when I taught a Nahum just that way, but it just seems so strong. But at the end of the day, you have to ask yourself, what happened? What happened to, to Nineveh? 
What happened to this people that were wonderfully saved? And now a hundred years later, the message is, it's just about over. Look, I'm reminded that the gospel baton, like a relay race, the baton is only one generation from extinction. There used to be a day when there were a hot, lot more b real Bible-believing Christians in, in the United States of America. Read our founding fathers and the early reasons why people flooded here. And bit by bit, it seems to have been lost. The baton has been dropped. And many are sweeping every single day, thousands, into eternity, lost whose great-great-uncle or aunt or grandfather were wonderfully saved. Listen, we are the link of the gospel to another generation, to another day. And if the chain ends with you and me, it's all over for those that follow beyond. And so when I say the grandkids went to hell, if you think about time, think about 40 years a generation, it's 100, 140 years or so, and they were wicked and evil. They had returned, the younger generations, after those who had been spiritually saved. And they didn't pass it on. They didn't impress the truths of God's Word upon their children, upon their grandchildren. Listen, I think Swindoll is right when he says, Parents, you don't know if you've done the job until you look at your grandchildren. Don't just look at your kids. Are your kids replicating the, and impressing the gospel truth upon your grandchildren and their children? Something went horribly wrong. It's the book of Nahum. God had wonderfully saved the entire city. Now the curtain is about ready to drop. It is the end of the wideness of God's mercy. It's the day when mercy ended and judgment fell. Now, we live in a day, we're very weak in America, and the evangelical church and those that claim to be Christians, oh, you can never preach a message of judgment. Everybody just hug and we'll just love each of everybody. Isn't that great? Isn't that enough? Just kind of just wrap, can't we just love? You know, pastor will say, I just preach love. I want people to know what I'm for, not what we're against. Well, you just have to rip half your Bible out and throw it away because bound up in the gospel, it's not only great news, and it's the best news. Better than any football team winning the, the, the Super Bowl or the World Series or any of that. It's, but bound up in that good news, there is terrible news. It's terrible and in this way, for if you reject the gospel of Christ, it is judgment forever in a place called the lake of fire. And so it's good news, but it's horrible news. It's like God saying, uh, you didn't want any part of me in life, right? You didn't want to worship me. I'm your creator. I provided the only redemption possible. You didn't want any part of it. And you won't have any part of me forever in a place of hell, in the lake of fire. It's a horrible thing. Jesus taught much more about hell than he did about heaven. Read the Gospels and check it out for yourself. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And only he could teach it. Well, Nahum, it's the rest of the story and uh, it's quite a story for all of us. There are two common myths dispelled by Nahum, this prophet, directing us to never misread God's long-suffering, sometimes called patience. But that's not really the right idea. It's chuck full a lot more than patience. We think we're patient when we're waiting at a red light. I almost went through a red light today. Don't tell anybody. But we came, we were running a little bit later than usual, and I was going to make a left there at the, on the pike, and I said, ah, there's nobody around. And Faith said to me, she's my conscience, you know, at times. You have a good wife like that? She said, you're going to be a lot longer if a policeman falls, pulls you over. Well, I didn't want to hear that at that moment. 
but, uh, but she's right. But sometimes we think, so I sat there very impatiently. That's not the idea. That's not the idea. Long-suffering. In other words, God is holy. He hates sin. He hates rebellion. And he holds back his judgment. He's long in suffering with sinners against his holy self. That's the idea of long-suffering. But we're going to notice the first myth, and let's just do what the old preacher did, tell you what we're going to say. Myth number one is that God does not care if we sin. That's myth number one. He loses me in the crowd. It's like you're up at State College and go to one of those great Penn State football games, right? Some of you are for Pittsburgh and you're the U of P and you're dying right now, right? But anyway, all those people there, or I'm sorry, Danny, Ohio State. <laughs> I didn't know if you were under conviction there or your face. <laughs> and yet, God lost me in the crowd, right? The crowd. No, God never loses any of us in the crowd, ever. You know, some people go to mega churches just to be lost in the crowd. Never. Never happens. Does God care? Does God care if, if you and I sin? Yes. In the second myth, there is no end to the loving patience or long-suffering of God. There is an end. There's an end. There's an end. And the end might be the day of God's gracious visitation to you and to me for salvation. Or it could be your death. That's the end. That's it. And, and Nahum dispels that completely and utterly. Now, my, my temptation is, is to give you a, a lesson in ancient history, and I don't want to do that. My job is to bridge what God said in the Scriptures and His wonderful Word bridge it into today to tell you what it means and how it applies to my life and to our life and, uh, and to drive that truth home so that we're ever changed by it. And though many of you have never heard a message on Nahum, it's so needful for us. But we're going to do the flyby. Every message has a theme, and it's unfolded, and we're going to do that and give you the whole sense of this book so that you'll know the story of the book of Nahum. Well, the first myth is found in chapter 1, the myth that God does not care if we sin. Now, the, 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 if it, you put it in a question and say, does God care if I sin, if you sin, the, uh, the answer to that could simply and finally be, be answered with the cross of Jesus. It paints forever in vivid, brilliant colors God's ab absolute holy hatred of sin. You say, well, how much does God hate sin? And the answer is forever look at the cross. Look at the cross. I mean, God hates sin. Never the intersection of holiness and love did so intersect as they did at Calvary. God is holy. He could not look at sin. But God took upon that sin as our sin substitute. And he suffered for your sin and for mine. There's the answer, finally and completely. And so when you look at the book of Nahum, it's really the cross of Christ that it points to in vivid colors. For in this day when the curtain is dropping and the wideness of God's mercy is closing it is the picture of the love of God, the holiness of God, and the wrath of God poured out on God's own Son at Calvary. Look at the cross. Well, here in chapter 1, the certainty of God's judgment of Nineveh is foretold by the prophet. You should know that she was the largest city in the world of this day, that she stood for hundreds of years, when Nahum wrote this, he wrote it during a time when Assyria, Assyria was the nation, Nineveh was the capital. It wasn't early on, but became the capital of the Assyrian Empire. And you should know it was the, it, she was at the height of her power when Nahum wrote this. No one ever would have believed this possible. Now there's a message here, and you're going to see it over and over for the United States. What a tremendous nation 
what a, what a tremendous heritage we've received. We've received it not by the pen, though the pen certainly helped, but it was won by the sword and the musket and those that stand watch. And we thank the Lord for our military and bless God for them. You and I sleep at night because they are posting guard. Aren't you glad for that? They're people that hate us. But we as a country are hanging out over the, 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 the edge of God's patience. A great nation. We feel real secure with our military, our, our missiles, our air force, our trident subs with our nuclear warheads, and all of that. But it can all come tumbling down very quickly. There's a nation, the verse in the scripture says, the nations that forget the Lord will be cast into the sea. And all you have to do is look at a history book and go nation after nation, even places where, where God had a great work of yesteryear, all but gone, remnants of what they were. That's, that's ancient history. That's it. The Roman Empire essentially gone. Great Britain, God spared them, delivered them from not having a French Revolution type thing through the preaching of the gospel, through George Whitfield and the Wesley brothers and the revivals there, spared them. And it flowed over into the colonies here and became the United States. There's a message here. Nahum writes, at the pinnacle of, of uh, Nineveh's power, King Ashurbanipal in 669 to 627, he was, he was ferocious. The whole world quaked at, uh, at him and his military and their might. There's a message for us. Wow. And the message is this. This empire, which for centuries had seemed invincible, God said, my purpose for you is over. You have turned into your sin and you are through. You're going to notice when God judges, he does so completely. Obliterates this nation of hundreds of thousands of people. Now, most of us in America don't know much about the Assyrian Empire. Faithy and I and Jonathan were over in London and had the joy of going through the great uh, British Museum there in London. You have to, if you get over to London, you have to go through there and see it. They have some of the greatest uh, exhibitions of the Assyrian Empire. Uh, the reliefs and all the artifacts, incredible. And if you, if you know very little about it, you will enlarge your understanding of this nation that God raised up and then wiped them away after having saved a great number through the preaching of Jonah. Well, our country needs to take due warning. Even as we consider there's only one superpower in all the world, as we strut around and those in D.C. somehow think that uh, Washington, D.C. is the greatest city in all the world, or the financial capital of the world, New York City. And we look at that and go, what happened? What happened in the last year? Citibank stock selling for a dollar, GE stock, the greatest multi-international conglomerate for $6.66 this week. Like, what happened? How could it come unraveled so quickly? What do you mean they put bad mortgages together and they certified them with AAA bonds and sold them around the world and, and all of that? And the whole thing comes unwound. Now, is this the final unwinding? Is it just a warning? Will it come back? Who can say of the mercy and grace of God? But look how quickly we fell from a, the, the high point of, and the awe of the world, and now we're going around asking China to buy our treasuries and over in the Middle East trying to get some of their petrodollars to help fund uh, our programs and all the rest. Beware, beware, beware. Does God care if we sin? Answering for us, finally and forever, the book of Nahum, absolutely. 
look at the cross. Well, look at Nahum uh, chapter 1. The Lord is pictured as judge. And we're not going to re- we don't have time to read it all. But it's just we're going to eavesdrop. Verse 1 of chapter 1, an oracle or a burden concerning Nineveh, the book of the vision of Nahum, the Elkishite. The Lord is jealous. That's not a sinful jealousy. It's like a husband would have jealousy for the purity and protection of his wife. The Lord is jealous and avenging God. The Lord takes vengeance and is filled with wrath. The Lord takes vengeance on his foes and maintains his wrath against his enemies. Now there's a verse that a lot of churches today would never even be read three times as God called the avenger, the revenger, the one who is filled with with wrath. Uh, Verse 3, the Lord is slow to anger and great in power. The Lord will not leave the guilty unpunished. His way is in the whirlwind, the storm, the clouds, of the dust of his feet. It rebukes the sea and it dries up. He makes the rivers run dry. Verse 5, the mountains quake before him. The hills melt. The earth trembles at his presence. The world and all who live in it. Who can withstand his indignation? Who can endure his fierce anger? His wrath is poured out like fire. The rocks are shattered before him. Well, he alone Uh, is the judge, and he doles out justice. He has the power to judge. He is awesome. In verses 1 to 6, look at creation, the power of God. He spoke the word in the heavens and the earth, and everything came into being. He speaks the word in the Red Sea parts. He speaks the word in the Jordan parts at flood stage, and and he uh, is able to open the earth and swallow up the rebels at Kadesh Barnea, and on and on and on and on. Look at nature. Look at creation. The far-flung stars and the sun and the moon and all of that. The power of God to bring about His purpose. He's not some puny little uh, shriveled up old man in a rocking chair type of God. Oh, I wish things would work out better. Oh, what am I going to do? There are some that have that, that uh, unbiblical image of God. God reigns supreme. He is omnipotent. He is sovereign. You see that all the way through this book. And when God comes to the point, he says, enough is enough, then that's it. The curtain drops, and it's gone forever, his day of justice. In a very small way, how often I've said, when my mother's horrifying words to me, your father will be home at five. I knew I was uh, free of pain until five, <laughs> but then it was the, the 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 justice was going to be doled out on that disobedient boy again. Oh Lord, is there anything we can do with him? And and my father was up uh, to the to the test. Believe me, and I've said how many times I probably got disciplined half the times I need. I don't tell him that because he would you know. Uh, but uh, here it is. It's going to fall. It is going to fall, and he is able, and it will happen. And in fact, it did happen, according to his word. In verses 7 through 11, his judgment is fair. It's fair to those who trust him. There in Judea, the southern kingdom, he provides a refuge. The Lord is good, a refuge in time of trouble. He cares for those who trust in him. He, and Nahum is writing not to the Ninevites here, he's writing to the people of Jerusalem and to Judea who have been so disabused by the power of the marauding uh, Assyrian army and uh, all the destruction that they have wrought upon even Judah. They uh, destroyed uh, over 46 cities and, and villages in the countryside knocking on the very door of Jerusalem itself. God is a refuge. He blesses those that are his, even though we feel overwhelmed. He cares for his own. God had spared Nineveh, uh, but now he is going to bring an overwhelming flood of judgment. Verse 8, but with an overwhelming flood, he'll make an end of Nineveh. He will pursue his foes in the darkness. We'll talk about this. That literally came through right to the word. It was a flood that actually 
caused a breach in the hundreds of foot high inner wall of Nineveh that was eight miles in circumference. The outer wall, the inner wall, it was the flooding during the rainy season that the rampart gave way, there was a breach in the wall, and the armies of Babylon and the Medes forced their way in. It was the flooding, and then they burned it. It was the fire of his wrath, in verse 6, literally coming about just as God foretold before it happened, judgment. God had spared her through Jonah, but now his mercy was over. God is against any, no matter how wealthy, how powerful, or self-sufficient, who disregard him, his authority, and trample on human life. That, that empire that had been raised up by God was now coming to an end. Well, verses 12 through 14, the Lord issues his sentence on Nineveh that she would be obliterated. Here's the formal words of it. This is what the Lord says, verse 12. Although they have allies and are numerous, they will be cut off and pass away. Although I have afflicted you, O Judah, I will afflict you no more. That is through the Assyrians. Now I will break their yoke from your neck and tear your shackles away. The Lord has given a command concerning you, Nineveh. You will have no descendants to bear your name. I will destroy the carved images and cast idols that are in the temple of your God. I will prepare your grave. God is speaking. Because you are vile, sinful. Look on the mountains, the feet of the one who brings good news, who proclaims peace. Celebrate your festivals, O Judea. Oh, fulfill your vows. No more will wicked, the wicked invade you. They will be completely and utterly destroyed. The first myth, does God care if we sin? Does he care? Does he even notice? Answering for us forever is this first chapter of Nahum. God does care. And the cross is the final answer to that completely. Or number one, Nineveh would dis- disappear from history. Verse 12, she would be cut off. Verse 14, no descendants. Imagine that. At the height of her, jo- of her power to have this hit, the Jerusalem post on the front page above the fold. Nineveh no more. The Assyrians wiped out in a flash, in a night. How startling. That must have been or would have been to the people of Judah to hear that. Wow. Incredible. Nineveh was to learn that sin arouses the wrath and holy anger of God. Though she was mighty, she would be swept into the ashes of history like all nations that forget the Lord. and They'll be cast uh, into the sea. This would happen even though she had once experienced the sweet blessing and visit of God. Isn't that something? God had visited her in his day of favor, and now it was over. Judgment was falling. Such a thing reminds us that God is the one who controls history. He had raised up the Assyrians, that is, Nineveh, for his purpose of spanking his people. Israel, the northern, uh, uh, the northern tribes, would be no more. Due to her sin, Nineveh had defeated and deported her. In 722, God said, enough is enough because of the, the uh, paganism and the, uh, the wickedness of the northern tribes there north of Jerusalem. He carried them away, and the Assyrians were fierce in what they did. They'd come in, they would defeat the king, the armies, and then they would begin this great mass deportation. It's a way, if you think about it, it's brilliant. The way to conquer a people is to and prevent them from ever rising up again and causing you a headache. It's just uh, carry about 90% of the people out, the people that survived. I mean, after you've butchered uh, many, many of them, deport them. So it would be like if we, we were defeated by the Germans in World War II and Germany came in and said, after killing millions of Americans... 
and then uh, shipping the rest of us to Argentina and uh, maybe South Africa and, and maybe a portion over to the Philippines and faraway places and, and people there that they had conquered move them here and you mix it all up and so you break the backbone of a people ever to rise up again. And that was the strategy of the Assyrians. They did that because of the sin God raised uh, up the Assyrians to be his servants, to deal with the northern tribes who had wandered away. They had forgotten the God that had saved them, delivered them, brought them into the land of milk and honey. They had been blessed, and God raised up a people to spank his people and to discipline them. Judgment fell. But now the day was coming after they had been visited by the blessing of God and salvation had reached Nineveh. Now through uh, the passing of time, the loss of the gospel passed, if you will. And God said, that's it. The wideness of my mercy is over. Today is a day of judgment. And yet he puts it, how beautiful are the feet. How beautiful are the feet. I don't know what you think about your feet, but most people don't think feet are really that beautiful. I guess if you're a podiatrist, you might. But uh, they are kind of funny-looking things. Have you looked at them recently? Your feet. A lot of you have sore feet, you know, and uh, the bunions uh, grow here and there. I got a couple of those. It's a family sign for my mama. And uh, other things happen with our feet, right? They're, uh, they're, fun. they're an anatomical engineering marvel. You, have, you know, you have more bones in your feet than anywhere else in your body. It's God's suspension system. You know, you have a shock absorber, or you got a couple of those in your car, probably four of them anyway. And uh, they help, right, to absorb the shock of the road and the potholes and everything else that you might hit out there, the railroad tracks. God has built us with shock absorber system, with all the multi-bones to, to carry the weight of our body over the tundra of the earth. And what he is saying here is how beautiful are the feet of the messengers that come over the mountain and announce to Judah that their enemy is going to be obliterated. Nineveh, the Assyrians, rejoice, have a party. Those that cause you so much heartache, God is going to finally take and deal with them. Wow. Even Judah had experienced them coming to their very door in the, during the reign of King Hezekiah. They knocked on the door of Jerusalem. And God stood there and heard the prayers of Hezekiah and Isaiah. It's a marvelous thing that's recorded several times in the Bible. And defeated the Assyrian army in 701. And the king fled back to Nineveh without his army, for they died that night. But the days passed, and they forgot the Lord. And now judgment was going to fall. How beautiful are the feet. Paul takes that same theme, and some of you will notice that from, from Romans uh, chapter 10, where it talks about the feet of the gospel. How beautiful are the feet, in, in, in Romans 10, 15, that carry the good news of, uh, of the comfort that's found in the gospel. And it is great. That's what you and I are to have beautiful feet as we leave this place and go among our family and friends and those that we work among and we, we love the Lord openly and broadly and encourage people to flee the wrath that is to come in so many words and words that they understand. You can't say that. You'd like to stand on your desk or in the gym and shout it, but they carry you out thinking you're nuts. You have lost your mind. But you and I are to do it. We're to do it in whatever ways we can to bridge with people. There is wrath coming. Today is a day of mercy. God cares whether we sin or whether they sin. And God keeps count. He knows it all. We live our life in his presence. And Nahum shouts to us the reality of this. How good is the news of those that bring the, uh, the message that that Nineveh is falling. What news? What? Imagine if our newspaper, now we opened the newspaper today, I looked at the headlines, and it's all about the economy. What are we going to do? Do we save? Do you spend? You know? Do you save? Everyone better save something. 
But you better spend because it's unpatriotic. If you don't spend, they can't make it. And, this, and you're like, what do we do? I mean, that's the headlines of the paper, right? That in, in Central Dolphin won the uh, state wrestling, right? Jim, did you see that? State championship run. Did you go over to that? Yeah, a couple of you guys did. I couldn't find it on TV. Oh, that was the problem. What time was that on? Hmm. We had the women's channel on then. <laughs> I couldn't find it. You know, that's, that's uh, you know, that's... Uh, got me off on wrestling. I lost my train of thought there. We wrestle not against flesh and blood. We'll come back to it. We'll figure it out. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I know what it was. Thanks, Ron. Uh, how about if we open the paper today and you saw Al-Qaeda wiped out forever? Wouldn't that be good news? Hamas, no longer an enemy. How about North Korea? They want to send up and do some practice shots with missiles and put a nuclear head on it. They have that capability. Gone forever. They carried the president out. He's not really a president, whatever he is. Or Iran, how about that crazy nut there? He's Looney Tunes. That guy is loony. Gone forever. Gone forever. Wouldn't that be something? No enemies to wake up and find they're all gone. Now, how, about, how much worse would it be if they've been marching up and down uh, uh, Front Street, carried out your grandma, killed your father, right? Uh, made you work for them and took all the profits of it and, uh, and, and did that for, you know, like uh, 200 years. Uh, you'd, be, you'd, be, you'd be dancing around. You'd be, we got a party hardy here for about a month. They're gone. I don't believe it. They killed Aunt Millie and Dad, and they took my brother, and he's in prison. Okay, just not over there. These are people that constantly, for hundreds of years, harass the people of God. That's why he says, how beautiful are the feet. There, this is good news for God's people. There's an end to the wideness of God's mercy for the wicked. But it's good news to the people of Jerusalem. Wow. It's, a, it's an encouragement, and it's a, it's a foreshadowing that one day, can you imagine what heaven will be like when you won't have any more enemies? You know, there are people that don't like you. I don't understand that. You look great. You smell good today. And, uh, man, you look so, you know, I can't imagine people get the nose out of joint because they don't like you or your family, you know. They'd be so happy if you got fired. Boy, I hope they let him go, her go. Fire them, get rid of them. Oh, that's a shame. You had a car accident. <laughs> you know, they really want your, you know, they despise you. Wouldn't it, wouldn't it be great in heaven to have no enemies? No one that sort of, I, I, it's hard to imagine. What the, I, I keep saying, heaven is so hard to imagine. I won't recognize myself without a sin nature, nor will I recognize any of you but to have no neighbors. I grew up in a neighborhood where we, we thought they were friends. They moved next door. They turned out to be not friends. Worse. A whole lot worse. They got calling the cops on me. You know, stuff and all that. The, yeah, juvenile officer Belvis was always down to see me. I don't know. Crazy stuff they accused me of. Jumping the fence, getting into the garage. Crazy stuff. Nothing bad, you know. I didn't, do, I didn't do half of it. Some of it I did. <laughs> the Looney Tunes. I mean, they, we were scared. And the poor lady, she didn't wear her underwear a lot and had this wild look in her face and wore her husband's T-shirt and had no teeth. I used to hide behind a hedge looking at her. I thought she was the devil incarnate. And we thought, how we encourage these people to move next door. We got, how did this happen? We have people that don't like us next door that cause more trouble. I know none of you ever have those problems, but we did. But heaven, no enemies. Judah, your chief enemy, is going to be gone forever. Gone. Does God care if we sin? You bet he does. The wages of sin is death. If you were the only one that had ever lived and had ever sinned, if I understand my Bible right, Jesus still would have come and died 
just for you and just for me. So demonstrated the love of God for lost sinners. Wow. The second myth exposed chapters 2 and 3 of this book of comfort for God's people, a book of doom for Nineveh, the rest of the story to the book of Jonah. The second myth, there is no end to the loving patience of God. The day of the door of mercy is going to close. It's open today. There's an open door to the gospel. I've often said if it costs five bucks, every American would have their ticket. You know, you go to Hershey Park and you get a ticket. You get a discounted one if you can. They're pretty expensive. But Americans love money. And if it were five bucks, we'd make sure we all had it. And all our kids and everyone we know, we'd be passing them out. It doesn't. It's free. But it, was, it costs the very Son of God his own life. But there's a day when the, when the door of mercy is going to close. And this is the harbinger of it, right, right here. Nineveh thought she was safe, just like many people do. They misread God and his patience and his long-suffering, our country and others. She thought she was safe with her enormous military and walls, but she is brought to her knees as God's wrath against her is exercised for the wages of sin is death. Look at chapter 2. Now it changes the whole flavor of this book all the way to the end. It's filled with all sorts of calamity and motion and commotion as uh, as the armies are running to and fro and there's panic and it fills the street and bloodshed as this once great mighty capital uh, is, uh, is on the brink of falling and falls. There's blood in the street and the, the king is killed and everything else that takes place as Nineveh is obliterated. And it's written, you should know, Nahum writes this like, uh, like having been an embedded war correspondent on location there in Nineveh. He writes it as if he's looking at it first person. Look at verse 1. An attacker advances against you, Nineveh. Guard the fortress. Watch the road. Brace yourselves. Marshal all your strength. The Lord will restore the splendor of Jacob like the splendor of Israel. Though destroyers have laid them waste and have ruined their their vines, there's a message of hope for Judah. Now look at the, uh, the, all the commotion. Verse 3, the shields of his soldiers are red. The warriors are clad in, clad in scarlet. That was the color of the Medes. The armies wore red, and their shields in front of them were scarlet. The metal on the chariots were flashing. The, the day they made ready, the spears of pine are brandished. The chariots are storming through the streets. You see all this rushing and commotion and calamity. What are we going to do? It's sort of like D.C. now, right? With the financial crisis. We got this idea and that idea, and they change it. Now, what are we going to do? We have no idea. But here it's in a military venue there in the capital, this once great city. And they're darting about. Uh, verse 5, he summons his picked troops, and they stumble on their way. They, they dash to the city wall to pre- the, the protective shield is in place. The river gates are thrown open and the palace collapses. It is decreed that the city be exiled and carried away. Its slave girls moan like doves and beat upon their breasts. Nineveh is like a pool and its water is draining away. Stop, stop, they cry, but no one turns back. Plunder the silver, plunder the gold. The supply is endless. Wealth from all its treasure, she's pillaged and plundered and stripped. Hearts melt and knees give way. Bodies tremble, every face grows pale. Where now is the lion's den? The place where they fed their young. Let me stop here. The lion was the, the, uh, the animal symbol of the Assyrians. In the United States, we have what? The eagle, right? We love the eagle. And all that it stands for. Did you know uh, Benjamin Franklin wanted the turkey? He thought the wild turkey was the right emblem and not the scavenger, as he called it, the scavenger eagle. Think about that when you see it fine. And we do have some, I'm told, in the, in the, in the river basin area. 
the lion. And look at what uh, Nahum is saying, uh, God through Nahum's pen. Now where is the lion's den, the place where they fed their young, where the lion and the lioness, what? The cubs with nothing to fear, the lion is killed. A lion killed enough for his cubs and strangled the prey for his mate, filling his lars with kill and his dens with prey. Look what it says. I, God says, I am against you, the Lord Almighty. I will burn up your chariots and smoke, and the sword will devour your young lions. I will leave you no prey on the earth. The voice of your messengers will no longer be heard. Woe to the city of blood, full of lies, full of plunder, never without victims. Crack the whip, clatter of the wheels, galloping horses. See all that? Let's back up. Look at A. Nahum describes in detail actual scenes from her destruction. The calamity fills the air. Nineveh thinks she's prepared. No, don't we? People don't know Christ, and they lay on their deathbeds, think they're prepared for what's coming next, and they're totally unprepared. It's the day of mercy for them is about ready to, to fall. Don't let that be you. They thought they were prepared for the invasion. They weren't. All their efforts would fail. The Lord remembered what they had did to his people in verse 2. God does not forget. We forget. We forget. I know they say you never forget anything you ever learn. Now, that's hard to imagine, isn't it? I think in mathematics, I forgot more than I ever learned. Is that possible? No, I can't. You no. Know. But most of whatever I learned. Someone said with the, with the high-tech stuff, it's, you, you always remember what you learned. It's a retrieval problem. It's in the filing cabinet somewhere, and you're not, you're not looking in the right place. Well, if that's the case, it's all up there, and uh, I have a retrieval problem, and probably so did most of you. But the Lord never does. He never forgets. He doesn't forget those that did such harm to his people. The Medes and the Babylonians invade. Here they come, Nabopolassar, king. Uh, he sieges, he puts the city of Nineveh in siege for two years. You can't imagine what that is. Now, you had the river, the Tigris River, and you had the Kozer River. Uh, that, uh, the Kozer River actually flowed through the center of this walled city of Nineveh. And uh, what, uh, what uh, the Babylonians and the Medes did, they dammed up the river. And God sent, it was an incredible rainy season. That's unusual for that part of the world, I know, having been in the Middle East. And it rained and it rained, and a part of the water finally came against the rampart, and it caved in. It's as if God said, I'm going to take care of business here. I'll send some rain, and you'll be gone forever. Imagine that. God did that another day, didn't he? A day of judgment with Noah. I'll wipe them out. I'll send some rain. Rain? <laughs> We're mightier than the rain. Oh, really? The rain comes, and guess what? The mighty Nineveh, the Assyrians, are wiped away forever. The rain causes the collapse. And after two years, the, I should, let me back up with a siege. The army surrounded the city. You couldn't go in or out for two years. What's that mean? You can't go to the shore, no vacation. Can't even go to the grocery store, but I like to go to the Mediterranean. You can't go. And you know what happens when that happens? You guessed it. Wegmans runs out of food. Mm -hmm. Weiss Market, Giant, nothing on the shelves. It's a desperate situation desperate. It's a very uncomfortable feeling, one that we don't know as Americans. Our kids think food comes from the grocery store. I don't know where the meat comes from, but we love those hamburgers, Mom. No way. Bread, vegetables, meat, eggs, milk, all that stuff, sieged up by this foreign army trying to choke them to death into surrender, but they refused. Right at the right moment, God says rain. The rain comes. 
and the walls fall down and the, and the Babylonian army and the Medes rush into the breach in the wall. And the city is looted and it is burned and it is gone forever, never to appear again. Never, ever. It is gone forever. And God declares, I am against them. The Assyrians would soon learn that God, not Assyria, has the last word. God wiped them off the face of the earth. He did. Uh, destroyed that great city, enormous city of that ancient day, the biggest of that day, if we understand antiquity right. And then, in, uh, as is common in that place, the wind blows sand and buries the different mounds. They mound up, and they call them tells. If any of you studied archaeology, the different tells, and they'll cut down through them and study ancient civilizations or towns or the inhabitants. And they do a whole study of that with archaeology. And the sands that the winds blew covered the ruins so that in 401, when the retreating Greek army passed, 401 B.C., passed right by. They didn't even know they were in the vicinity of the once great Nineveh. It was totally an unrecognizable mass of debris covered with the sands of time. And in fact, it was buried and lost for hundreds and hundreds of years, not discovered until the year 1842. They didn't even know it was there. Now, let's put that in our day. The greatest country of the world today is the U.S. and might. Morally, it's not, but it might. Imagine some, one of our great cities, let's say our capital, Washington, D.C. God says, enough is enough. And the end of his patience falls, and we pray not. But we know history. And uh, judgment falls in a moment, and how quickly it falls. Remember the USSR? Fell without a gunshot. The mighty bear, the hammer and the sickle. Wow. I don't think Russia's out of the game yet. Watch them. But wow. In the U.S., how about electronics? Everything is electric and electronics and high-tech. You blow that out. None of our military equipment works. Nothing seems to work. Nothing. I don't know. Is that where we're most vulnerable? In the espionage and spy and counter uh, all that stuff? Probably. And imagine that in a period of time, maybe 100 or 2 years, D.C. is so buried, let's imagine it's an arid environment, buried with sand, so that a great army passing by wouldn't even know that was Washington, D.C. What? You mean there's a, there are people that live there? That's desert. That's what Nineveh was to the great Greek army. A testament. What? Does God care if you and I sin? Absolutely. And second, is there an end to God's patience, his long-suffering? Absolutely. Look at Nineveh. Look at the civilizations of the world. In the United States, let us take warning. Wow. Wow. Well, God, through his prophet, enumerates Nineveh's sin. That's chapter 3. And her sins are horrendous. God cares if we sin. She's a city of blood. I've told you that she was uh, cruel. She was the worse than Nazis of, of ancient history. She was, and one man, if we can trust him, says Nineveh was the capital, one of the cruelest, vilest, most powerful, most idolatrous empires of the world. King Asher Bannerpel, one of their great uh, kings, uh, his treatment of the captured king, this, this is how this guy uh, would treat those uh, as an example of who he conquered. Here's the king of, his defeat, of this defeated country. He said, and I quote, and this comes right off one of the uh, monuments to his reign, I pierced his chin with my hand dagger through his jaw. I passed a rope 
And I put a dog chain upon him, and I made him occupy a dog kennel. Now, that's really a nice guy. You hear a lot of nonsense about the United States. I will say this in our, in our favor, that uh, we are not a people that have conquered others and then taken over their countries. In fact, if you look at history, few have ever, ever done what we have done in defeating uh, the, uh, in Europe and in the, uh, uh, Asia and defeated them at great cost, financial and human life and suffering, and then rebuilt those countries and put our armies on planes and boats and sailed them and flew them home and to help them rebuild their own countries uh, in the theme of liberty and freedom and all. Nobody has done that, and so to our credit. But these folks were wicked and evil, and she was, and she would commonly, the Assyrians cut off hands and feet and eyes and noses and gouge out eyes. They would burn their enemies alive. They would fillet them. They would impale them on sharp uh, uh, posts. They were a violent, wicked people. Nineveh's doom is, is seen one last time, the day that God's mercy ends. Cruelty. Well, quickly, and we'll close. Lessons for our life, number one. Today is the day of God's mercy. Today is the day. The door is open. The door of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's open. Come in. Press in. Press. Don't misread God's patience. One day is the same as the next, and then the next, and the next. Repent and receive, repent of your sin. It means to change your mind about it instead of running toward it, which we all have done. Turn from that and receive Christ the Lord as your Savior in a simple prayer of faith. Lord Jesus, be merciful unto me, a sinner. The day is the day of God's mercy. The door is open, like the door there in Nineveh with Jonah and preaching. But it will be closed. Your death will seal it. Don't die apart from faith in Jesus Christ. Number two, number two, remember there is an end to God's mercy. There's an end to it, and judgment will follow. It's appointed unto man once to die, Hebrews says, and then the judgment. Don't miss it. Don't misread God's patience. God's mercy will end. Number three. Something terrible happened. I can't get over this. It's a terrifying thought. The gospel was not passed on to the kids, to the grandkids, and to their kids, because they were the ones that were obliterated in the falling judgment of God. Don't miss that. Don't miss that in your own life. Don't miss it in your, your own children. Impress upon them. There are only a few things that are really important in life. The most important is to know your God, to live for Him. Moms and dads and aunts and uncles and grandmas and grandmas, live for Christ. It's not so much your words, they're important, but it's your life message. It shouts to them. They know what you believe. They know what you think is sacred and holy and true. And then maybe you're late in coming to know Christ. From this day forth, live for Him. And your kids will never get over it. And it'll impact other kids. And, and you'll be in heaven and you'll introduce me to your great-great-grandchildren. By God's sweet grace and sovereign mercy, brought them to Himself and saved them. Something went wrong with Nineveh. They didn't pass on the heritage. Don't you miss that. Number four, be encouraged. Be encouraged. God is sovereign, and his word is true. He's sovereign. He is king of kings and lord of lords. He is the lord of history. He is, and his word is true. Do you notice? It came about exactly as God's word said through the prophet Nahum about the city of Nineveh. You can take it to the bank. I don't care what E.F. Hutton says. 
I don't care what any of the nonsense horoscopes say. You shouldn't read those anyway. I don't care if it's curiosity. It's demonic. It's from Babylon. It's not of God's word. Whatever God says is true. It's yea and amen. You can count on it and build your life on it. God said, this is it. And guess what? It was it. That's the word of our Lord. Praise God for it. Be encouraged. Number five and last, never forget the cross. Never, never, never forget the cross. For it most clearly displays God's hatred of our sin. It dispels the myth once and for all. Does God care if I sin? And myth number two, is there an end to God's loving patience, his long-suffering? And there is. It's the cross. That's God's final statement on the horribleness of sin. The book of Nahum. It's a book of comfort. Be encouraged. Wow. Well, that ends our series in Jonah. I trust that it will forever impact you and deliver you from a Jonah heart and uh, pray that God would use us as his, uh, his servants in such a day. 